Good morning, everyone. It's, I'm really thankful to be back in person looking at people. This is about the, I think this is the first time I've been able to preach besides the first service in public since um, COVID hit us. The title of my message is, When the Foundations Are Destroyed, What Can the Righteous Do? And that is taken from verse 3 of Psalm 11. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In our culture today, we're experiencing the crumbling of moral and spiritual foundations. And if you'll indulge me for a moment, as an old Christian philosopher, I've been trying to understand God's Word and God's world for about 45 years through my education, my teaching, writing, debating, preaching, witnessing, and so on. And I've tried to be like one of the people from the tribe of Issachar. We're told in First Chronicles 12.32 of the tribe from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. As I understand the times today, I see that the foundations, the structure of social order, are being destroyed at a fundamental level, not just surface tensions and problems that societies east of Eden always have, but at the most basic level, the level of right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. Why? The short answer is we have lost the knowledge of God and we lack the fear of God. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. To put it more sociologically, we face what the social critic Oz Guinness calls a crisis of cultural authority. Who speaks for the truth? Who can be trusted? What is the common good? How can we pursue it? What is the value of human beings? How ought we use our bodies? What is the meaning of our life together? What is the source of civil law? Who speaks for God, if anyone? We see a widespread distrust and even rebellion against major institutions, particularly the civil government. The last year we've seen governmental buildings damaged and set ablaze, police accosted verbally and physically, We've seen fire in the streets. For many, the American vision, the founding ideals of our country are being criticized and even rejected in favor of neo-Marxist philosophy, revisionist history, and violent activism and even rioting. We've seen American flags burned and so on. A lot of these issues have to do with the politics of the body and the body politic. Think of the LGBTQ movement, especially the rise of transgenderism. Uh, This really represents a revolt against the very categories of biology and creation. In the beginning, God made them male and female, and there are right ways to live with our sexuality as males and as females. Right now, there's a class action lawsuit filed against a number of Christian colleges and universities related to just this issue. And institutions 
that hold to a traditional Christian morality will be sued and will be challenged. And their existence may even be threatened because of the climate in which we live. We continue to see the politics and the culture of abortion on demand, where we have federally funded abortion, approximately 60 million, 60 million living human beings have been killed in the womb, fetal parts have been sold by Planned Parenthood, and our present presidential administration would like to, as they put it, codify Roe versus Wade, meaning to not allow any restrictions on abortion by any of the states. Many states have things like waiting periods or they have a cutoff date when abortions cannot be procured. The present administration would like to abolish all of that. Pro-life people are forced to pay taxes to support abortion and perhaps even be penalized in some other way for opposing abortion. Of course, we face racial upheaval where people are asking what is justice, what can be done, what is a proper understanding of people of color, how do we ensure justice for all and respect all human beings, how can we redress past wrongs, move forward wisely, justly. And in light of this, there's not merely discussion or debate, actually there's very little discussion and debate, but we find fire in the streets because there's fire in the, men's of men and, in the minds of men and women. Crime rates went up drastically in 2020. More firearms were purchased in 2020 than any other year in the history of the United States. People's hearts are fainting because of fear. The truth itself has been undermined by many people. And this is the essence of the problem because we need the truth. Jesus said, only the truth will set you free. And he is the living truth and the way and the life. Instead of the pursuit of truth, come what may, people often put feelings of offense or feelings of grievance ahead of truth. We're told that college students need safe spaces so they can flee the rigors of argument and analysis over major issues. When I went to college uh, many years ago, the idea was that when you were in the classroom, you were there to learn, and if you interacted with your professor or other students, you need to have the facts and you need to have good arguments. And all my degrees were in philosophy. Now, we don't want people on campus to be intimidated or feel oppressed, of course not. But what I find And what bothers me so much as a philosopher is that people often fail to engage rationally because their feelings might be hurt or they feel insecure. I call this snowflake epistemology. Epistemology is simply the study of knowledge. How do we know what we know? And this is how it works. You've seen it. This, whatever it is, offends me. Therefore, this is false or wrong. Now, I hope you see that this is fallacious because the truth stands independent of your feelings or your whims, your likes, your fears. You may be offended by something and that something is a statement about reality. So in that case, get over it. 
and get in line with the truth. Now, there is offensive language and people are unnecessarily harsh or they're accidentally hurtful. I don't, I don't gainsay that for a moment. But I worry when people are putting feelings of offense or grievance over a concern for what the objective truth is. And instead of seeking truth, many people simply accuse others and then want to cancel them. We face a culture of cancellation. I've written an argue about, a, uh, article on that online if you're interested. And this takes the place of rational discourse and dialogue. Many people now fear, especially people that write and teach and preach, they fear being canceled. The Court of Appeal says, you're this or you're that, you said this, and therefore we must shame you, condemn you, and completely get rid of you, throw you down the memory hole, to use some language from George Orwell from 1984. So we are returning to the age of the blacklist, where people are shamed and labeled and often not given a chance to defend themselves. What do we do in this very vexatious situation where we wring our hands? And on top of all of it, we had to deal with this pandemic, which shortens our temper and increases our anxiety just in general. And then fire in the streets, accusations right and left. It seems as if the very foundations of our culture and our politics are being destroyed. What then do we do? We must return to the wisdom of divine revelation for the objective truth about God, ourselves, and the world in these troubling times. Proverbs 29.19 says, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. We need revelation, that is, God's truth in the Scripture in order to deal with troubled times when the foundations seem to be destroyed. What can the righteous do? That's what our psalm will tell us. So we're going to see how a a gifted shepherd, musician, and warrior, and a future king, that is David, responds to the troubles, the vexations of his day when the foundations are destroyed. Psalm 11. You'll be studying the Psalms, and that will be rich and rewarding. When our Lord was crucified, he recited a psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. The Psalms call us to praise and worship the Lord, to confess our sin. Think of especially Psalm 51. To confess our trust in God, as David does in this psalm to give petition for our various needs, spiritual, physical, financial, to intercede for others' needs, and to lament and grieve over loss and evil, and to do so with wisdom. Now, how does this psalm speak to our condition of a crisis of cultural authority when the foundations seem to be being destroyed when there's fire in the minds of men and women and fire in the streets. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. 
a faithful affirmation, and a fearful challenge. For the director of music of David. So this would have been sung, although we don't have the music, we have the words. In the Lord I take refuge. That's the affirmation of reality, of the truth. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows. To shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? It begins with David's affirmation of faith, and then he entertains a challenge of the faithless. The confession of trust, verse 1, David takes refuge in the Lord. Now think about the idea of refuge. You only take refuge when you are threatened by something or someone. It's a response to a perceived danger, like a fire alarm. Take refuge. Don't be engulfed by the fire. We don't think of refuge when we're doing something easy and enjoyable, like going for a bicycle ride or going to the beach or hiking in the mountains. We take refuge in the face of danger and trouble. So this is exactly why David says, In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. Now taking refuge in God, in the Lord is unlike any other refuge which may not provide safety and peace. When I was a young man, we used to have air raid drills because this was at the height of the Cold War. And we would have to get under our desks because the Russians might be coming to bomb us. And I think, how is getting under your desk going to help too much if a nuclear bomb falls on the school? But nevertheless, we went through this drill of taking refuge. But taking refuge in the Lord is very different because we can do so anytime and anywhere and be in the security of the Almighty, come what may. And we do this simply by acknowledging His character, by trusting Him. But we have the naysayers, the critics. A fearful assessment. We see that in verses 1 and 2. This may refer to a situation in David's life where King Saul had tried to murder him. We don't really know why or what event David is thinking of. It's general, certainly. But you remember that King Saul after the spirit left him, was jealous of young David, who had been anointed king by Samuel. And he tried to kill him multiple times. Now, David did not run away from his calling as king, although at some points he had to flee Saul to stay safe. But he never fled the call of God in his life to be king. He persevered. Why? Because he took refuge in the Lord, even though Saul is trying to kill him. This is bad counsel. We often receive bad words in times of difficulty. Think of Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. 
and Jesus is fasting. Satan says, turn these stones into bread, meaning give up on the fast, don't obey God, follow your appetite, and distrust God. That was bad advice, and Jesus knew it. He rebuked him from Scripture. But in times of intense trouble, in a pandemic, when the fires in the streets and fires are in the men, fires are in the minds of men and women, we get a lot of bad advice. So we have to go back to Scripture to get a word from the Lord, a revelation of wisdom. Flee like a bird was not what David should do, was to do. It is not what we should do. The foundations are being destroyed. This means the social order is in upheaval and chaos. Saul has been tormented by an evil spirit. He is not relinquishing his throne. He is pursuing David to murder him. And in 1 Samuel 22, we find that King Saul had 85 priests slaughtered in his midst by the sword for supporting David as king. And then he utterly destroyed the city of Nob, the town of the priests, and everything in it. The man's on a futile rampage against truth and goodness. It seems the foundations of Israel are being destroyed. The situation seems dangerous and hopeless, and the temptation is to fly away like a bird, give up, retreat, distrust God. But verses 4 through 6 give us the godly response to answer the cowardly counsel of flee like a bird because they're out to get you. They are training their bows and arrows against you. Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. Let's first look at the idea of a temple. God ordained that he have an earthly temple for his people, a holy place of worship for God's people where God dwelled in a specially manifested manner. There was an order of worship, symbols, rituals, all to indicate the holiness of God and His ways with His people. But there is also a heavenly temple. This refers to God's transcendence. That is, God is above all. He is over all as Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple. He is enthroned in the temple. He's not wandering around in it. He's not worshiping. He is receiving worship. He is seated as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a position of ultimate supremacy and authority. If you want authority, go to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth the God of David, of David. We're also told in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit if we are followers of Jesus. The Lord is in us and with us. We're like a mobile sanctuary 
God is with us everywhere we go. And he is also in his heavenly temple, seated, enthroned. From this temple, he knows everything. So we know where he is. We know what he is. He's holy. But then what is he doing? And how does this pertain to us? When the foundations seem to be destroyed. His eyes examine everyone. This is an all-knowing scrutiny. Certainly far better than any telescope, microscope, social science survey. God knows everything as it is and as it ought to be. So he not only knows all the facts, he knows the value of all the facts. Meaning, he judges every state of affairs properly based on his perfect, transcendent character. So he's not simply the cosmic know-it-all. He is also the evaluator-in-chief, the last word on all things. Our human evaluations often fail because we are finite and fallen beings. I was recently going through some boxes in my garage and I found some documents related to when I took the SAT test in 1984 pursuant to graduate school. I did very poorly on the SAT. And I wondered if I even had a career in the academy. And here, here I am with a PhD. You know, it's called the Scholastic Aptitude Test. I did extremely poorly, but somehow something went wrong and I got a PhD. So our human tests may be wrong, right? I guess the better, uh, the better example would be a false test with COVID. You test negative when you're positive, positive when you're negative. Our human testing is fallible. God's testing, God's knowledge is total and perfect and flawless. He doesn't just see it for what it is. He evaluates it perfectly. We need to know that. We need to rest in that. We're told the Lord examines the righteous, such as David. And we need to take the lens out a little bit more and say, looking at the whole Bible, that sinners before God are made righteous positionally through the death of Jesus on the cross, through his shed blood. If we lay hold of that, we are declared not guilty and we receive the righteousness of Christ. This is of grace, not of works. We receive it by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And if we do so, if we are born again, then we are zealous for good works to do what is righteous. God also examines the wicked, those who love violence. Violence begins in the heart. You see this so often in Scripture. Genesis 4, the violence in the heart of Cain that ended in murder. Violence comes out of the mouth and we see violence in our streets. Now, notice the language here. It says that God hates the wicked who love violence. God hates them with a passion. I'll read it again verbatim because this might be hard for us to swallow sometimes. Verse 5, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. 
And all the major translations have that word hate. Well, let's get over it together. So, inasmuch as people love violence, God hates them. And for God, this is not a hate crime. God's hate is justified given evil. He can't endorse evil. He has to oppose it. And notice how I put it. Inasmuch as anyone loves violence and turns against God, God hates them. But the great condition here, he can forgive sinners, the violent, and turn evildoers into workers of righteousness. But we dare not shortchange the holy anger and hatred of God. That's what our text teaches us. We also know from these verses that God will act. He will punish the ungodly. They will not be able to get away with it. No one gets away with evil in this world. Either you are forgiven through the work of Christ because He took your punishment, He paid your debt, or you will have to pay the penalty yourself. So Scripture here speaks of the reign of God's wrath from heaven. Fire comes upon them. And a scorching wind consumes them. And this is a reference to what literally happened in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 6, On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. Strong language. But it's true. And we should take heart in this. If we're not followers of Christ, we should take heart and flee, not like a bird to the mountain, but flee to Him like sinners who need to be saved, who need to be reconciled to God through the love of God shown on the cross. But if we are followers of Jesus, then we take heart that God knows what is right, He knows what is good, He knows all things, and He will judge rightly. God may judge in history, judging nations and empires and individuals, but He will render His final judgment at the end of history when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead. This means He will deliver the godly in His own timing so they need not flee in fear like a bird to the mountain. Rather, they can confess... In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord who is in His holy temple, seated on that throne. The Lord who examines everyone perfectly and knows all things. Who knows the righteous as righteous and the unrighteous as unrighteous. And will bring all things into account on the last day. We need not fear times where the foundations are being destroyed. Rather, if we fear God, then we fear nothing else. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. That means a reverential respect for the authority of God in a time when people wonder where to go for the voice of authority, who to listen to. Let's look at the last verse of our psalm, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. 
He loves justice. The upright will see his face. David is summing up the basis of his confidence in the Lord. Why he takes refuge in the Lord, come what may. The Lord knows all things. He knows what is righteous and just. He knows what is evil. He will act and judge justly in his own wise timing. God works out everything according to his will. Ephesians 1.11 Therefore, we can take refuge in God through many dangers, toils, and snares, as Amazing Grace puts it. With the promise that we will see His face, that is, have ultimate communion with the Lord who saves our life and who is the Lord of the nations, who is a God of justice and a God of love. So what can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? When people refuse a revelation from God. Most essentially, know the Lord, your God, as David did. Review and rehearse his character traits, his divine attributes. That he is all-knowing, he is all-good, he is all-powerful, he is the sovereign judge, he delivers his people. Those that take refuge in him will not be put to shame. They will ultimately not be defeated. They need not flee like a bird to the mountain, but rather confess the Lord as their Lord. To do this, we need to read and study and meditate, reflect on the Bible, which is God-breathed and profitable for everything in life. 2 Timothy three fifteen and 16. Friends, I've been doing this now for 45 years. I converted when I was 19. And I won't stop. And even though I have preached a version of this sermon before, I spent hours and hours studying this text all day yesterday and time before that. And I learned and I grew through that study. So please, put away lesser things. Engage the living and active Word of God. Especially when the foundations seem to be destroyed. The foundations of God are not destroyed. The foundation of your faith is in the eternal, all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful judge of the universe. Don't settle for lesser things. Read and study the Bible. Attend a church. This is a good one. Where the Bible is taught and recited and sung. I can't emphasize this enough. Psalm 119.11 says, this is David again, your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we could add, your word I have hid in my heart so I don't panic in times of stress. So when the foundations seem to be destroyed, I still take refuge in you. A number of years ago, my wife was very ill and we were on our way to see the doctor and a verse came to me from Psalm 91. I will be with him in trouble. That was such an important verse for me and for my first wife, Rebecca, who's now with the Lord. I will be with him in trouble. Not, I'll take him out of trouble, but I'll be with him in trouble. 
The Lord was with David in the trouble when Saul was persecuting him. Saul was slaughtering priests because they supported David. The foundations were being destroyed. The Lord was with David, and David knew it. So he took refuge in the Lord and acted accordingly. Another discipline which I fear has been neglected because we have the scriptures on our phones is memorizing scripture. Memorizing it, not just reading and studying the Bible, but memorizing it so that it is with you. And I have a number of verses that I have memorized over the years, and they simply come to me during times of struggle or times of praise or whatever it is. They're there in my soul. And for many years, I used to take business cards and write scriptures on the back of them and take them with me when I would have some time waiting to see a doctor or waiting in the airport or something like that and take out those cards and memorize them, meditate on them, maybe recite them out loud and so on. And of course, pray. Pray to the holy God seated on the throne in his heavenly temple. So many ways to pray. Ephesians 6.19 says to pray at all times with all kinds of prayers for all God's people. That will keep you busy. But given our time of tumult and vexation and chaos in many ways, let's definitely pray for our leaders. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Lord, give the leaders of our nation wisdom that these riots would stop that there would be peace and understanding and real moral progress in our country. This kind of prayer is good and pleases God our Savior, who is seated at the right hand of God. Ultimately, what we need to do when the foundations of social order are crumbling, when the foundations seem to be destroyed of truth and goodness and decency, We need to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24, 25, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and builds them and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So if your foundation is on the rock of God, eternal, all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful, all-powerful judge, Lord, Savior, then come what may, you can take refuge in the Lord and find peace and meaning in your life. The words of Christ and the whole Bible teach us that no matter what happens, even if the foundations of social order are destroyed, God is an all-knowing, all-good, 
and a just and wise judge of history. So we take refuge in him and act in faithful ways, seeking the good of the city to which we are exiled, being salt and light, but always, whether we succeed or fail in our endeavors and our culture, always knowing that we can take refuge in our God because of who he is. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for who you are, that you are dependable, that you are holy, you know what is right, you know what is wrong, and you will bring all things into account. We thank you for the mercy and grace shown to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that we would walk in the confidence of David and take refuge in you, no matter what, knowing that by your grace, one day, through it all, we will see your face. In Jesus' name, amen.